Hey, good morning. You know, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I might just want to, like, welcome you. If you're visiting with us today, I want to welcome you today. And if you're one of those people that hasn't ever, like, been to church much, and you're here, and you're feeling, like, awkward because you might do something dumb, uh, and then everybody will judge you, I, I just want to come clean <laughs> that, uh, that, you, that I have set the new bar for Epic Church Fails. Is it... You guys are all laughing. Do you already all know? <laughs> when Pierre and Janae came in with my grandson Everett, they handed me Everett, and so I grabbed him, and, and, uh, and I set my coffee down on my seat. And I said, there was this voice in the back of my head that said, you probably shouldn't set your coffee on your seat. And then I said to myself, oh, I'll remember. <laughs> and then I didn't. Uh, and so I slipped out. That's why we have the break. Um, I slipped out, changed, we're good to go. But... Just know that if, if you're worried about doing something dumb, uh, you can just put that thought at ease, So, because uh, uh, that's me. But I'm here. Fortunately, I don't live in Willamina or something, or else you'd just be awkwardly wondering why I wet myself. Um, but uh, anyway, I just thought you'd appreciate knowing that. Enough people over there knew already, so I thought I should just come clean, you know, because we're not into gossip here at Creekside. We just, like, bring it out into the light. Anyway, uh, back to on the subject. You know, we are in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28 today. And over the, over the last several weeks, the story of 1 Samuel, if you're not familiar with it, is, is that King Saul, who was the nation of Israel's choice for a king, because he seemed like when they chose him, he seemed like he would be the perfect candidate to vote for. And so they chose a king, they, they, uh, and God warned them, like, hey, you don't want to choose a king. You should let me be your king. And they're like, no, we want a king like the nations. And they got a king like the nations. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and Saul has been on this kind of downward spiral in his life where he just keeps making bad mistake after bad mistake after bad mistake after bad mistake. And we kind of ending up, uh, and we'll see that he kind of hits rock bottom this morning. You know, but last week, though, our story took a little bit of a turn because what had been happening is Saul was trying to kill our our other main character in the story, King David, who, um, or he's not king yet, but he was God's choice for king to replace Saul. And if you're a reigning monarch, you don't like people that have been chosen to replace you. And so Saul had been trying to kill David. And what we saw last week is that David lost hope. He had lost sight of like the promises of God to him. He had lost sight of all of God's faithfulness to him over the years. And he began to take matters into his own hand and try to secure his own safety. And he went to the land of the Philistines, which was, which was uh, the people of Israel's arch enemy. And Achish, the king of the Philistines, was kind of operating under that principle, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so he, he kind of let David and his, his army of 600 men, he gave them a city. He let them join the land of the Philistines. And we left off last week with David being, um, like having to lie to cover up his like deception of King Achish as he was living there in the land and trying to like appease King Achish's suspicions of him. David had lost hope and it put him into a into a difficult spot. And what we're going to see, look, if you look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 28 this morning, you'll see that his, his difficult spot gets worse. Look what it says in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 28. It says, Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war. 
to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. And David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So David's deception put him into the situation that when the Philistines went up to war against the people of Israel, Achish had this expectation that David was going to join them to fight against his own people. David's unbelief and his cynicism and his unfaith uh, and his loss of hope led him to this place where now if the whole army of the Philistines is mustered up for battle and if he was to say like, no, like I'm not going to go do it, the army of the Philistines would wipe him out. If he goes along with it, like the... Like he ends up being attacking, attacking his own people. And then verse two just leaves it hanging there. We're not going to see what happens to that story until next week because it's going to shift the camera. It's going to shift to King Saul. But we're left with David in this desperate situation because his loss of hope that had led him to unbelief and cynicism and lying and deception. And now he is in this like between a rock and a hard place. And we don't know what's going to happen with David. But what we're going to see with King Saul is that King Saul, like, has a failing hope too. Like, all of Saul's life, he had this, like, religious external where he would, he would acknowledge the God of Israel. He would invoke God's name. He would, he would claim to speak for God at times. In fact, earlier in the book, like, God through his spirit actually did prophesy through Saul. But Saul and his, has just been demonstrating that his heart has always been against God. It's always been kind of rebellious and opposed to him. And what we're going to see is that in Saul's hour of need, his, his religious hope that he had that, that wasn't aligned with, a, with his heart, like it was going to fail him in his hour of need. Our text is going to break out into, into four main sections this morning. We're going to see Saul's desperate circumstances in verses 3 through 6. We're going to see his foolish hope in verses 7 through 14. We're going to see him receive some disturbing news in verses 15 through 19. And then we're going to see him, uh, I call it this, technically he might have had one more, but um, Saul's last meal, actually his last dinner, like this is in the evening or at night, Um, Saul's last meal. What we're going to see is the last night of Saul's life when he hits rock bottom um, before he dies. Um, So please stand with me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 and then pray, and then we'll get into the text together. This is, this is God's word for his church this morning. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. And David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for the, just the, even the disconcerting honesty with which it, it, it speaks of our struggles as people. And, and Father, I just ask that as we, as we look at this like, low point in Saul's life, that we would, 
have our hearts stirred to the true hope um, that's found in you and found in your King, Jesus Christ, and that we would live in light of that. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, as we jump in here, there's a lot that happens in these first few verses. What you find out is that in verse 3, that it says that Samuel was dead and all Israel had lamented him and that Saul had kicked the mediums and spiritists out of the land. The law of God um, is really, really clear in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, that, that uh, he was not, you were not allowed to, they were not allowed to allow any like mediums. So they're, they're like people who, uh, what's, the, what's the language, what are I'm looking for? fortune tellers, the, the uh, like psychics, you know, whatever it might be, palm readers, I don't know, back then it was necromancers. Some of your Bibles use the word necromancers in this, in this chapter. People that interceded for, with the dead and, and uh, that claimed to have the dead speak to them. The law of God was really clear that in the land of Israel, they were not to be, they were not to be allowed to stay. And if they did, it was a capital offense. Um, and that no one in the nation of Israel should ever go to to uh, none of the people of God should ever go and inquire of them. In fact, in, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, it says, to the, it says this. It says, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord, your God. Like God told his people, like, I'm your God. I'm the one that you should come to. Don't go to anyone else. And in fact, like you should drive them out of their land. And in fact, to Saul's credit, he had done that. But from the Philistines' perspective, this was a really great opportunity because now Samuel was dead, the one that had spoken, like, had spoken God's word to Saul, and from the Philistines' perspective, anybody else that was in touch with like, the supernatural had been driven out of the land. And so the Philistines recognized this as a great opportunity to go for war because, to go to war because uh, Saul and his armies would be in the dark, at least from the spiritual perspective of things. And so it says in verse... Uh, in verse four, so there's, there's actually an article there, not all of your, or a conjunction there, not all of your Bibles like translate it. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem and Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped at Gilboa. Shunem and Gilboa were on opposite sides of the Jezreel Valley. Jezreel Valley kind of cuts the land of Israel in half, um, kind of down the middle of it. So what the Philistines had done is they had gone way north from Philistia, cut inland, and basically divided the nation of Israel into two halves. They cut the northern half off from the southern half, and, and it was a significant military threat. And so Saul and his armies came up from the south, and they camped on the opposite sides of the Jezreel Valley, lest the Philistines go wipe out one half of Israel and then come down and wipe out the other half. And it tells us that when Saul saw, verse 5, the, the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Like, Saul came undone. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Like, you've got this, this army of the Philistines. We aren't told how big it is, but, like, it, it must have been a formidable, formidable foe. And what we also knew last week is that Saul knew that his arch nemesis, David, was now allied with the Philistines. So now you have, like, like the, the one who invokes the most paranoia from Saul, David, allying with Israel's greatest enemies, the Philistines, both coming up against King Saul. And it, it's, like, uh, it's like Peter Pan with the alligator with the clock in it, right? Not only do you have the alligator, but you've got the thing that induces your paranoia ticking away. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're Christians, you don't watch Peter Pan. the greatest one of the greatest movies ever Peter Pan 
and Saul like comes undone. And then we have these tragic words that, ha- that were told in verse 6. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or the prophets. You know, there's three ways that the scriptures are talking about there that God that had spoken to his people over the millennia. And one of them is through dreams. Like, clear back in 1 Samuel chapter, like, I think it's chapter 18, when Saul had appealed to, to, uh, to God about attacking the Philistines, ironically, that God was silent to him back in, clear back in 1 Samuel 18, years before. Like, Saul has been experiencing silence from the Lord for years at this point. God didn't answer him in chapter 18. God didn't answer him here personally through dreams. And then it says that God didn't answer him through Urim. The, the Urim were, the, they were the, no one's really sure exactly how it works, but the priest, like it talks about them in the law, and the priest used them to inquire from the Lord. People think it was kind of like, like casting lots or, or something like that. But it, it also makes sense that God wouldn't answer Saul through like the priesthood. Because clear back in chapter 21, if you guys remember the story, if you were here, like Saul, out of his paranoid rage against David, like ordered the death of all of the priests. And the one remaining priest fled and now was aligned, and now it aligned himself with King David. So, of course, God's not going to speak to him through the priests because Paul had silent, I mean, Saul had silenced that voice by slaughtering the priesthood. And then we find out that there was no prophets to speak to Saul either. And what what we saw back in chapter 22 was that the prophet Gad had also aligned himself to David. The priesthood was aligned with David. The prophets were aligned with David. And God had turned his deaf ear to King Saul personally. So Saul was left in his hour of need. When he went to go talk to the Lord, the Lord did not respond to him. You know, it's an interesting thing because clear back in chapter 8, before the monarchy was even established, um, God was warning the nation of Israel and he had this whole kind of stacking up of, of warnings. Like, he's going to take your sons and put them in his army. He's going to take your daughters and make them work in his, in his, his uh, palace. He's going to take your farms and he's going to take the best of your produce. He's going to take and he's going to take and he's going to take and he's going to take. This is in chapter 8. And then at the very climax of everything that, that all the bad that was going to happen to the nation of Israel by, by asking for a king, in 1 Samuel 8, verse 18, God says this, Then you will cry out to me in that day, because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Like what the writer is telling us is that everything God had warned them about, about a king with King Saul was coming true. And Saul, as he represented the nation of Israel and appealed to God, there was silence. And what we're going to discover is he leads the nation of Israel into a battle that they lose. And there's great sorrow that comes upon the nation because the Lord did not answer him in that day. All that God had warned them about the king had come true. And now they were left with only a king like the nations to do what only a human king could do for them. And Saul had lost hope. Now, some of you might, might be sitting out there and asking yourself the question, like, wait a minute. I thought, like, our God is gracious and merciful and that he'll all, he always responds to people when they call upon him. Anybody think that as I've been talking? Maybe. 
You know, I just want to submit to you that I think maybe in Saul's life, God's silence to him that had started clear back in chapter 18 was an invitation to Saul to some self-reflection. And maybe it was an invitation to Saul to ask the question, like maybe why is God silent to me? Why is God distant from me? Why am, am I not able to hear from him? Why are all the priests dead? Why, why? But he never does that. All through the book of 1 Samuel, Saul shows zero self-reflection. He complains about the consequences of his sin, but he never like takes ownership of the sin itself. The, the silence of God is just met with like Saul blaming everything else and taking more and more and more steps to just do things in his own power instead of like seeking the Lord to try to find out what, what is going wrong in his relationship with him. In fact, you, you see him take it into his own hands in verse 7. His immediate response was not self-reflection. It wasn't to like go to the Lord and ask why. It was what? Oh, let's go find a necromancer. That makes sense. The very thing that I had outlawed, now I am going to do. Because I don't know what else, because I won't face the reality of like this broken relationship with the Lord. His hope fails him. You know, the, the Psalms are filled with, with this idea of the fact that, that sometimes God like feels distant. Sometimes God feels like, like he's not hearing and he's not responding. There's Psalm after Psalm. I looked them up like this week. I, I could have had like four or five of them up here. That would have been great. But like the psalmist will cry out, how long, oh Lord, will you refrain from like answering me? But the difference between the psalmist and Saul is that the psalmist like stays in that spot and continues to hope in the Lord and doesn't just turn to everything else. In fact, Psalm, uh, Psalm 42, some of you guys are old enough and have been Christians, Christians long enough to know the song that goes along with this one. It's from the 80s. It's like, uh, it feels like I, I was in high school in the 80s, so it doesn't feel like it should be like 90 years ago or whenever, however far it was. <laughs> You guys know the song? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Right? It has this like tune to it that, that always kind of like sat with me like a little bit wrong because it's like, it's like this happy like tune, right? That's not the tone of the psalm. The tone of the psalm is like the deer is panting. He's been out in the desert. He's lacking water. And, and, and the deer's like panting after the Lord, like barely like able to make it. Listen to the next verse. When shall, my, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Do you hear that? It's not this like happy, like prance through the meadow song. He's like, my tears are accusing me and speaking to me all day long like your God isn't anywhere near. He goes on. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He's like, I used to be a worship leader. I used to like lead everybody into the temple and we would sing and shout and praise. And now God feels so far from me. All that I have is my tears. But what, look, listen to what the psalmist says to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? 
Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Like, if you're in this place, like, maybe you find yourself in a place like King Saul. Like, our God is a God who graciously saves. Our God is a God who is a God of absolute hope. And when, if you're in that place where it feels like God's distant, where your tears are there, where you're in turmoil, where he seems silent to you, the answer isn't to turn to everything else. The answer is to continue to hope in God and continue to, to believe and walk in faith and pursue him. And one day you will praise him again. Like he will bring you out. And that, so when that testing of your soul comes upon you, like those those things that you turn to, whatever they might be. Some of us turn to just disengagement. I just want to watch Netflix until I have to get up and go to work the next day. And, and right? Some of us turn to like alcohol or drugs. Some of us turn to like relationships or pornography or Saul turned to necromancy. But whatever it is that your heart's inclined to turn to in those moments when God feels distant is probably a pretty good indication of of where your heart's at and who or what you are hoping in. Saul's hope was not in the Lord, the God of Israel. It was a foolish hope, and we're going to see what he does next because of it. Verse 8. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, conjure up for me, please, uh, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, behold, you know what Saul has done and how he has cut off those who are mediums and, and necromancers. My translation says spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? And Saul vowed to her by the Lord saying, as the Lord lives, there shall, there shall no punishment come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. You know, this is a really dark, dark story. It happens in the dark of night. Saul puts on a a cloak. In fact, Endor was about four and a half miles north of the the Philistine position. So Saul and his men had to sneak around to come to Endor. They come into her place at night, this necromancer's home. And he asks her, like, hey, I need you to conjure up someone for me. Now, the text doesn't go into it, any detail at all about the necromancer's life, but the, the seriousness, seriousness with which God like, speaks to these things in the, in, the law of, in the law of the Old Testament leads us to believe that she's not just a swindler. She's used to, like, she does do things that interact with that spiritual realm. And as, like, as Americans who are pretty naturalistic people, it's hard for us to perceive of, like, like demonic activity. But it's real. And she's a person that deals in demonic activity. 
And as soon as Saul asks, like he's confronted once again with his own hypocrisy because unknown to her, she's speaking to Saul and she says, well, no, 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 no. I am not about to go there because Saul outlawed it. And if I get caught doing it, like I'm going to be executed. So she reminds Saul of his own law and of one of those rare moments when he actually did what God said he should do. And then listen to Saul's response. It's so crazy. He swears to her by the name, by the covenant, name of the covenant God of Israel, verse 10. And Saul vowed to her by the Lord, it's the word Yahweh, as the Lord lives. Think about this for a second. Saul is swearing by the living God so that he can speak to the dead. In fact, as he's talking to the, ne- the necromancer here, he invokes God's like covenant name of Israel. The living God of Israel, I swear to, so I can speak to the dead. And it is the height of religious hypocrisy here where he uses God's name to, to like move into something that God prohibits. By the living God, I want to speak to the dead. And so she, so she does. So she raises him up. He asks to bring up Samuel. And then in verse 12, we have something really interesting happen. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. You know, whatever was going on there, like there's a lot of debate because the Bible doesn't give us a lot of the detail. But whatever was going on, we can be confident that something was happening that that this necromancer was like, didn't expect. Because when she saw Samuel coming... The one who like proclaimed God's word to the nation of Israel, all the pieces fell into, <laughs> into place in her mind. And she realized like, oh, that's why the guy looked familiar. He's the guy that was hunting us. All the pieces fell into place. Something unusual was happening. And she screams out. And Saul's like, don't be afraid. You know, there's so much going on here. But what we see, like Saul's like immediate desire and his hypocrisy to pursue, um, to pursue this course of action was one that just, it was, the, it was kind of the ultimate like bearing fruit of the rebellion that existed in Saul's heart from long ago. If you remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, um, when, when God told uh, David that, I mean, told Saul that he was going to lose the kingdom, he says this in 1 Samuel 15 verses 22 and 23. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Now listen to what Samuel told Saul. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. What, what Saul was doing there is he had saved all these animals contrary to what God had told him and was going to offer them in sacrifice to the Lord. And so Samuel's like, really, Saul? You're going to do a bunch of religious activity instead of just obeying the Lord? That, that kind of rebellion 
is the same thing as like divination and witchcraft. And that kind of rebellion just lived in Saul's heart, like masked in this cloak of religious like piety. And here it was reaching its ultimate fruition. Like he actually was participating in divination. And it probably wasn't that hard of a step for him to take. You know, my experience with sin is it'll lead you down this path. Like, oh, this seems like reasonable and I can control it here and this isn't too bad. And you guys know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden you come to your senses, hopefully, and you realize like, oh, I'm in this place that is so far away from where I should be. And I could either take that journey back or I could just keep going. And here Saul is there in front of this like necromancer who is recognizing that there is something out of the ordinary happening here. And she cries out in fear. I think the reason why, I think what's going on there is she realizes that, that the powers that are at work in this very moment aren't her powers and they're not the powers of darkness. They're actually the powers of God. Because God has one more message for Samuel to deliver to, to Saul. And in fact, clear back at the beginning of the book, when Hannah was pray, praying and thanking God for the, the child Samuel to be born to her, you might not remember this because it was months ago, 1 Samuel 2, verse 6. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol, which is the netherworld, the place of the dead, and he brings up again. Is that how it reads? And he raises up. The Lord is the one who has power over life and death. The Lord is the one who has the power over the grave and the, the place of, of the dead. He's the one that can take people down to it, and he's the one that can bring people out of it again. And guess what? Like Samuel showed up here to speak one more message to Saul. And it's not, it's not the message that Saul wants to hear. That brings us to the third point this morning is Saul's disturbing news. Look what he says. Um, verse 15. Oh, no, before I go on there, verse 14. Uh, <laughs> and he said to her, what is his form? And, and she said, an old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. It's interesting. Like, for, like back to Peter Pan. The, the, for those of you that have watched Peter Pan, sorry for the illustration, but um, what happened is Captain Hook, the reason why he was Captain Hook is because he had a hook in his hand because uh, the alligator had, I think, had bitten his hand off, right? And, and also ate his, his pocket watch, or it wouldn't be a pocket watch, it'd be a wristwatch, um, uh, with it. And so whenever the alligator, the alligator was coming around and it was always like ticking. And so whenever he would hear the ticking of a clock, he would like freak out. That's, that's the illustration of Peter Pan. Somebody thinks it's funny back there. So. <laughs> Most of my jokes go nowhere, but unless I sit on coffee. Um, that Saul, Samuel's robe is that for Saul. In fact, throughout the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel has been known by his robe. Clear back in the beginning chapters, like as a young child, Hannah made a robe for Samuel, and he was known in the temple by the, by the cute robe that that Hannah had made for him. And every year she would bring him a new robe. And that critical moment when God pronounced that, that, uh, 
that the kingdom would be taken away from Saul. Saul grabs onto Samuel's robe as Samuel's walking off and his robe tears. And, God, and Samuel said to Saul, like, just like you tore my robe, the kingdom is going to be torn from your hands. And so when Saul sees Samuel in his robe, he's like, ah, this is coming full circle. Everything that God said is going to take place, both good and bad is what we're going to see. Look what he says. Listen to Samuel's rebuke. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing up, by bringing me up? Jake was like, wherever Jake is, Jake was like, you know, Samuel's like the old grumpy guy when you wake him up from his nap, like, ah, what are you doing? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me. He recognizes it there. And answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. It's interesting he leaves off the, the Urim, probably not to draw attention to the fact that he killed all of the priests. Um, Therefore, I have called you, that you may make known to me what I should do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? So Samuel doubles down. It's not like the Lord has just departed from you, Saul. The Lord has departed from you, and he is your enemy. In fact, that's a terrible place to be when God is your enemy. Because Hannah's song also, back in chapter 2, at the beginning of this, uh, she says, I don't know where it is. I guess I don't have it on there. Do I have it? Oh, there it is. First Samuel chapter 2. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge to the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. That's the first place in the Bible where the coming king of Israel is referred to as the Messiah. That word anointed is the word Messiah. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. And what Samuel's saying, you know what, Saul? God is contending with you. And he goes on. Verse 17. And the Lord has done accordingly as he has spoke through me, for the Lord has torn, there's that reference to his robe again, the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. As you did not obey the the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, you and your sons, therefore, tomorrow, You and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Bad news, Saul. Like everything that God said he was going to do, he has done. He's torn the kingdom from you. He has risen up against you as his adversary. He is going to shatter you. And tomorrow, you and your children will be with me. The ancient world, the necromancers believed that the sun goddess was, was in charge of the underworld. And that whenever she passed into the underworld at night is when you could appeal to her to bring people up. And it's this interesting scene where, where Samuel is saying, you know what? Next time the sun passes over, you're going to come down here 
and hang with me. You and your sons are going are gonna to die. This is your last night, Saul. Enjoy it here with the necromancer. It's a tragic, tragic end. You have this like pathetic view of Saul at the end, like as he kind of faces his last night. He was bowing and doing homage to Samuel the dead. He was doing homage to the dead after invoking the name of the living God of Israel. He finds out that everything that God had promised was coming true. Everything that he had warned the nation of Israel about was coming true. And everything that God had promised to do good for David was also coming true. He's going to give the kingdom into the hands of David. God's word for good and for bad will always be true. And that's what Saul's being faced with here. He gets this message that he doesn't like. Because of, his, uh, because of his lifelong rebellion. And Samuel says, tomorrow you're going to be in the grave with me. And the entire army of Israel is going to be turned over to the Philistines. So Saul's last meal, verse 20. Then Saul immediately fell full length on the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had no, eaten no food all day and all night. So he was so terrified before that he, that he couldn't eat. And now when he hears this, he comes completely undone. And he come, like just falls and collapses to the ground. It says he was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. And it took everything out of him. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you, and I have taken my life in my hand, and have listened to your words which you spoke to me. So now also please listen to the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have strength when you go your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. However, his servants together with the woman urged him and he listened to them. So he arose from the ground and sat on the bed and the woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly slaughtered it and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. And she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they went away that night. So what happens there is that Saul completely decompensates and he collapses there. And, and the witch is like, or the, I always grew up kind of hearing her called the witch of Endor. Actually, it's the necromancer of Endor. Sounds cooler. Um, the necromancer of Endor uh, is like, this is kind of awkward. Because I've got the king of Israel who ordered my execution, like collapsed on my floor. And I don't really want him to change his mind about me. I want to get him out of the house as fast as possible. So I'm going to offer him a meal. So he offers him bread, and he's like, no, I'm not going to eat. And then it says that he, she's, they kept talking, and his, and his servants joined in with her in appealing to him to eat. So he ate. There's this repetitive like, use of the word listened. She says, listen to me, and he, he didn't want to eat. And then she kept speaking. The servants spoke in, and so he listened to them. Here at the end of Paul's of Saul, Saul's life, after refusing to listen to the word of God for his whole life, he listens to the necromancer of Endor. She slaughters this the fattened calf. It says she hurriedly slaughtered the fattened calf. She wants to get him out of the house, right? She hurriedly slaughtered the fattened calf, and it says she baked unleavened bread. Like, I'm not giving it time to rise. You get crackers, right? Like, um, 
We're cooking this up. This is McDonald's fast food. This is the birth of fast food. If you doubt whether or not it's evil, necromancer vendor. So, <laughs> sorry, that's not the official position of Creekside Community Church or the Board of Elders. So, <laughs> there's stuff just pops into my head. So, I should rein it back. But, and Saul eats this fattened calf, like he eats this meal fit for a king. His last kind of meal of fellowship with someone is with this like purveyor of the dark arts. He bowed to the dead. He listened to the necromancer. And now he eats in fellowship with her as he, and, and the next day he'll go to his grave. It is this tragic, tragic end of Saul's life. You know, as we, you know, and just in wrapping this up, once again, this kind of echoes back to to Hannah's song at the very beginning of the book, where in in verse five, she says this, she says, um, those who are full hire themselves out for bread. Saul didn't technically hire himself out, but he ate this meal of fullness of the fattened calf. And the very next day, he like hungered even for his life. And he actually asks someone to kill him and put him out of his misery. Like it's this, what's happening here with Saul and David is like that great reversal that God has been doing throughout this whole book where he brings down the mighty and he raises up the humble and he establishes the the strength of his anointed one to reign. You know, so there's, I think, a, a whole bunch of applications for us. You know, there's, there's personal application. You know, we spoke somewhat about it, like when we talked about, like, th- those things that our heart goes to when we see, tend to lose hope. Are we going to keep pursuing the Lord? Or are we going to turn to other things? There's this other application, I think, where, where Saul, even here, it's interesting, when he's talking to the necromancer, he invokes the, when he, he invokes the covenant name of the God of Israel. And then when he, when he talks to Samuel, he doesn't do that. He just talks to God and like, refers to God in his generic name for God. It's in verse, verse 15. It's Elohim. Uh, and for the Philistines are waging war, and God has departed from me. And then Samuel, in his response, seven times repeats the covenant name of the God of Israel back to Saul. Saul had a religion that wasn't like reflective of his heart. And when he needed that religion to deliver him, it offered no help. And I think there's a lot of people, and some of you could be sitting out here today where you believe in God, you, have the, you acknowledge that God exists, you might even pray to God or invoke God's name at different times, but it's never been united by faith in your heart and true reliance upon Christ. That kind of just acknowledging God and that living in your own strength like Saul has done is not the kind of faith that saves you. In fact, Paul says this in in Romans chapter 10. Talking about how how, salvation is not far away. Then he says this, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What he's saying is there needs to be this united, like, unified response, both in your heart and in what you say. And it's when, it's when you believe in your heart, you will be saved. He continues. Uh, 
For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, believes in him will not be disappointed. The Lord will not, like, that, that is not an empty hope. You will not be disappointed if you believe in the Lord. So my challenge to all of us here is that, that we live that life of, like, unified testimony. That, that our hearts, and if you don't have that heart, like, just pray that the Lord grants you that heart, that he cleanses your heart, confess your sin to him, repent. Ask him to change who you are inside so they can match who you are outside. And that, we, and that we live like as people who really believe that he is one who will not disappoint. You know, I think it, it also kind of like, we also apply this like on a national level. For the nation of Israel, as you look at King Saul, recognizing that God had warned them that, that human king, a human king will never like give them what they hope for. A human king um, by him, like other than Jesus Christ, I didn't include him when I said human because he's fully God and fully human. Just so you know, I want to be precise here. A human king will never be able to bring in those things that you long for that can only come from the kingdom of God. This is all over the place in scripture. Psalm 118 verses five through nine says this. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Like Saul realized the futility at the end of his life of trusting in himself. And he had, he had walked that path so long, he just kept going to his grave. And the nation of Israel saw, and, and it would be a cycle that would be repeated again and again and again, that every single one of their kings, including David, is going to fail them until the ultimate king, Jesus Christ, comes, who will never fail. So, Brian, why don't you come up to close us? You know, I've, I just, I just want to challenge all of us here that, to make sure we have the, a sure and steadfast hope that comes from, like, a genuine faith in the Lord. He will never disappoint. Psalm 146, as Brian and the team, I'll just read this and then turn it over to them. I pray, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes and mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Now listen, how blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord of God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. He who keeps faith forever. Blessed is the person who hopes in what? In hope is in the Lord God because he is a God who keeps faith forever. He will never disappoint. So please stand um, as we praise the Lord and praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord while you live. Let's sing. You know, he's saying there about how one day when 
when God brings this world, like wraps it all up in Jesus. I forget how the, the lyric expressed it up there, but in the, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 19, you see this fulfillment of all that God had promised was coming to come true, both positively and negatively. It's, it's what's known as the fourfold hallelujah. It says, it says, after these things I looked, and as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous and he has judged. And then it goes on to speak about his judgment and the, the saints cried out hallelujah again. And then, and then the, on the fourth hallelujah, they say, hallelujah for the Lord God, the almighty reigns. And then it continues to, to talk about a different meal. It says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready and it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Like Saul like ate the meal of death and the next day, went to the grave. But yet for all of us that belong to Jesus Christ, we have this, this wedding feast, this reception that awaits us that are based on God's true word. So let me just pray and close us. Father, I thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. It's a hope that's not, it will never fail, that you will never disappoint, and that one day um, you will fulfill all of your word um, that you've given to us, and that um, salvation belongs to you and, and all power and authority belongs to you as well. So I just ask that you would help us as your people to live this week as those who truly hope in you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.